folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I'm recording this one. Uh, following the Milwaukee Bucks tying up the Brooklyn Nets, so taking that series to a Game 7, uh, got to watch the day before on Wednesday, got to watch Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers crumble, got to watch the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert crumble. Uh, it was very interesting, very interesting to watch, and uh, there were also a variety of news stories that came out over the course of these last few days. Uh pertaining to a bunch of superstars, Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson. Uh, there's discussion about the Bucks and Giannis and Mike Budenholzer, that if they don't win this series, then Budenholzer is done. So I thought it would be a good time to talk about the international stars in the NBA and the game becoming more global, what that sort of means for all of these guys, and talking about each of these individual players, because I think it's a fascinating way that we are about to go in the NBA. And it's funny that the controlling parties are going to be all players that are not from the United States, that are from different areas all around the globe. And they are going to be the controlling powers for the rest of the 2020s in all likelihood. So it's going to be interesting. And I want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about six different players. Uh, I'll talk about three in the first segment, three in the second segment, and then uh, have a little bit of a super team discussion in the third segment. Uh, but first, let's talk about Nikola Jokic, who Nuggets fans are obviously very uh, appreciative of. They know very well. Um, actually, before that, I think it's very possible that the top four players in the NBA in the new future, the near future, are going to be Jokic. Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. Embiid is playing on a torn meniscus right now, and so that might change matters, and his health and status might ultimately fluctuate here, but they all have these vastly different experiences in the NBA right now. Uh, Rudy Gobert is also a a primary international star. I'm going to talk about Zion Williamson towards the end of segment two. I know he's not international, but he's basically from space. So, like, give me a break here. Uh, But I'm going to talk about those six guys. And we'll start with Jokic. He's definitely the most steady of those four options right now. The MVP just coming off of that title. Uh, Giannis won the previous two, but Jokic is the the guy right now who, if if you look around the NBA and you look at the, the steady contributors... I think you look at Giannis and Luka and Jokic as the three guys that are going to continue to carry the carry the torch. Uh, and Jokic, I think, is the most steady of those three. He has the fewest questions. Um, he's rock solid offensively. There is no weakness to his game uh, when he's not being exhausted by just doing every, everything for his team without his second best player. Uh, that's just who he is. That's what he is. And that's good enough, I think, to win a title. And most people agree with that. There are still some national questions about his defense. There's still some, there's like a national desire, I think, to undermine what he does. And it usually happens pretty often. And there are people that are going to just wait for him to fail. And then they're going to hop on board the hate train. But most are catching on. Most are realizing that this dude is incredible. 
that getting to watch this guy, getting to watch Nikola for the rest of his career is going to be a lot of fun, is going to be very enjoyable for NBA folks, for people that are looking for the growth of the game, how playmakers generally uh, dominate the growth of the game, and how they sort of shape it. And Jokic does it in, in a just a, such a drastically different way than what people have ever seen before. And so it's it's funny that he's the international star that we're talking about first. He's the weirdest. He's definitely the most unique. And I think that that often receives some brushback, but mostly people are just happy to watch him. People are very interested in what he's doing, or at least they're going to be. It's going to continue to change, and I think he's going to – like his national uh, Q score, his uh, acceptance rate, is going to be a lot higher over the course of these next few years, especially if he continues to do what he's doing right now, maybe even win a title. He's receiving some hate and uh, some backlash for his decision to kind of skip out on the Serbian national team this summer, for qualifying for the Olympics. And I feel bad for my Serbian friends. But taking this time off is going to prevent a lot of potential long-term injury issues with Joker. Think about what he's done over the course of this last calendar year. He spent all of his previous break getting into shape, getting into the best shape of his life, had his wedding, went into the bubble, came out of the bubble, had a short offseason, came back and played every single game, including games where he had to carry the load so much that he was named the MVP. Carried his team through the first round, ran out of gas in the second round, was just clearly out of gas. And had he gone on to play with Team Serbia, it would have taken over half of his break away. Uh, between now and when he comes back to start training for the NBA again. I don't need to really make excuses for him here. He put his heart and soul into this NBA season. I just hope that Serbians continue to treat him and not hate him. Like they, they got to treat him well. He's not like it kills him more than it kills anybody, but the dude is just a walking corpse right now with how much he's had to carry the load. Um, the NBA offseason is three months long, from about June 15th to about September 15th for him. A commitment to Team Serbia would have taken over half of that offseason time, and then he's back, and then he's doing this again. So I don't really blame him for wanting to not do that. And it's got to be tough for him, but I hope that all of Serbia does like I know he's done this before, but he's also had just long seasons before and has been just completely drained. So I hope that this doesn't change their view of him too much. Uh, speaking of potential preventing of long term injury issues, uh, Joel Embiid, folks, uh, look, he doesn't deserve a ton of slander, uh, and I've I've given out my fair share. Let's just say. Uh, but he's dealing with a serious knee injury. It's a partially torn meniscus. It's probably extremely painful, uh, and it's limiting. But he's also still playing really well 
against Clint Capella and the Hawks. The problem is it's not enough, and he's still had some pretty bad moments. Going 4 of 20 in that game 4, airballing a potential game-winning layup from one foot away. He missed two key free throws in game 5, was a combined 1 of 10 from the field in the fourth quarter of games one, uh, 4 and 5. And they're now one game away from elimination against the Hawks. I know he's been affected by the rest of the roster, by Ben Simmons. Simmons and his lack of shooting, his ability, his inability to shoot free throws, and just kind of a, the general malaise that he's playing with right now. Lack of aggression. Uh, he's scared to go to the free throw line. He was scared to shoot threes, and that's been a reason why their, their offense just has never been as good as it could be. But the Sixers should still definitely beat the Hawks. End of story. They're the East version of the Portland Trailblazers. Except Trey Young is not Damian Lillard, and the Nuggets just beat the Blazers without multiple guards, including Jamal Murray. So it's pretty jarring to see the Sixers struggle here. Joel Embiid is going to get a lot of slander if they do lose, and Nuggets fans will join in on it, and they will laugh, and that is probably like the right call, to be frank. He shouldn't be losing. If he's av- if he's available to play, if he's available to get up this many shots, the Sixers shouldn't be losing. They'd be a one seed that drops to a five that drops a second round series to a five seed. When they had worked so hard to get the easiest path to the NBA Finals that they could get, they were going to face the winner of the Knicks and the Hawks, while the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks are doing battle on the other side of the conference. It's pretty amazing that the Sixers are in this position in the first place. Speaking of in this position, uh, the Jazz are down 3-2 to two to the Clippers after losing Game 5. Rudy Gobert is in a really tough spot. I don't know if there's a player in the NBA with the greatest disparity between the regular season and playoff value, because there's no doubt in my mind that regular season Rudy Gobert is an, an all-NBA caliber player, somebody that you can center your franchise around, that as long as you have other shot creators, you're going to be a really good team. And the Jazz have a lot of shot creators. They don't have one that's playing right now in Mike Conley, but they still have Donovan Mitchell, who's proven time and time again that he's good enough. They have Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and... uh Jordan Clarkson coming off their bench. They also have Royce O'Neal, who's shooting a high percentage from three. They should be advancing. The Clippers just lost Kawhi Leonard. He's probably going to be out. There's a lot of ambiguous stuff with his knee injury that just came out. For what it's worth, he's going to be out. And he was out in game five. And the Clippers won anyway. The Clippers are also starting Marcus Morris at center. They're playing a ton of small ball. Rudy Gobert has a negative plus minus in all three of the Clippers wins, Jazz losses. And he is going to get a serious amount of hate for his offense and his defense if he can't get the Clippers and put them down with Kawhi out anyway. And he deserves a lot of that hate. 
to be frank. Because he's currently averaging 12 points and 12 rebounds. Has had two combined steals, two combined blocks uh, over the course of the last three games. The defensive impact just isn't there. And teams are like the Clippers just don't, they don't fear him. Like Terrence Mann in the game on, in game five, a couple nights ago, was just incredible. Like had an incredible and one driving to the rim. And that's Terrence Mann going up against the defensive player of the year. It's just sad to see a guy like that in, in Rudy Gobert just have so little impact in a series like this. And that the Clippers can just go small. And the Jazz, they don't have a good response. They can't just throw it into Rudy Gobert and say, hey, we're going to have you punish this every single time. The Nuggets could do that with Jokic. And then it would force double teams and then that starts the entire rotation and it, it would put the Clippers out of whack. But the Jazz can't do that, and they've never been able to do that with Gobert. His rim running just doesn't matter if you're going to switch every time. It was proven against the Houston Rockets. I think it's going to be proven against the Clippers here. Because the Clippers are going back home. They have an opportunity to close the series out in six games. And if they do, and if the Jazz lose this series, especially with Kawhi out, the Jazz are going to be in deep shit. They just signed Mitchell and Gobert to extensions. Gobert, he's in line to average $41 million a season over the course of the next five years. Good luck. Good luck uh, continuing to build your team. Especially with Mitchell also getting a max. Good luck with those two on your books. And being able to surround them with quality pieces who can continue to add because I don't know how much better like Mitchell can get than what he's shown in these playoffs so far. He's clearly also laboring through injuries, so maybe that's an issue. But like he's always been kind of an inefficient guy who who can go through these ruts. He can go through really big high points, but he goes through ruts. I just wonder if the Jazz are going to be screwed here. Despite the fact that they were the best team in the NBA in the regular season, that they finished with by far the best net rating, best record. And it just may not matter at all. So we'll see. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, and Zion Williamson. The latter two of which have have had some weird things come out about their teams over the last couple days. We'll be right back. Alright, back here, pickaxe and roll, Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're talking about international stars in this episode. Mentioned the first three centers, the top three centers in the NBA right now are Jokic, Embiid, and Gobert. They've kind of been the like other other than injury-wise, they've been the top three centers in the league for a while. Uh Carl Anthony Towns has really fallen off there, at least from a perception standpoint. And We'll see if he can get back on the horse and uh, 
and really get his career back on track. Bam Adebayo is always there. Um, but like there really isn't that many other options. Uh, Demontis Sabonis, I guess. Uh, but not really. Like it really is going to be Jokic and Bede and Gobert, barring injury, for the next couple of years. Maybe DeAndre Ayton gets up there at some point. He, he and Jokic are just like buddy-buddy now. Uh, seeing DeAndre Ayton post that picture of the jersey that Jokic sent him, really interesting. Really interesting to see those guys develop that relationship, that friendship. Uh, Jokic just seems like the coolest guy. Like He really is, of course, and, and we all know that, Like having been around and talking to him and uh, just – you you never get too close to these guys, but I wonder what his uh, what his conversations with some of these NBA players are like, because it seems like it would be hard to hate him. All right, let's get back on track. Uh, Giannis, such a fascinating superstar, such an interesting player with major flaws, but you just can't deny how athletic he is, how gifted he is, how hard his motor runs. And how much he just wants it. It's really interesting to watch game six. Really, really interesting to watch how he bounced back in the face of adversity here. Uh, Game six with the Bucks and the Nets. You just saw Chris Middleton went off. He was incredible. Giannis also did his thing. 30 points, 17 rebounds, 3 assists, 12 of 20 from the field. Uh, zero of zero from the three-point line. That was interesting. Didn't take a three. And six of ten from the free throw line. I'll talk about the free throws in a bit. And the Bucks won. They played well. But Chris Middleton really was the guy. 38 points. 11 of 16 from the field. 5 of 8 from three. 11 of 12 from the free throw line. 10 rebounds. 5 assists. 5 steals. 0 turnovers. Or uh, zero uh, blocks and four turnovers, excuse me. Uh, But Chris was really, really good. He was the guy that they turned to, especially in the clutch. Uh, Giannis found his opportunities and uh, did his normal thing, like especially for the first three quarters. But it really was Chris Middleton that the Bucs continued to turn to in those late game situations. I just find that fascinating. Because there are very real questions about Giannis's ability to be a top option on a team. Giannis has stepped up here and he's had some good games, but he's also had some bad moments. Uh, in that game five, he, he completely fumbled a pass. That other people would fumble too, but like for an easy dunk, that would have been an opportunity for him to really put his impression on the game uh, late in that game. But they lose in that one, and Giannis looks bad, including really bad at the free throw line. They win game six. Giannis looks good. Still has some issues when the team walls off the rim well. Uh, and the free throw line stuff is really becoming absurd at this point. Uh, it's it's reminding me of Dwight Howard back in the day where teams would foul him, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. But you prevent him from getting the easy stuff. And Giannis is kind of making it into a show right now at the free throw line. He takes such a long time before the free throw 
And then during his free throw routine, it, it goes way over the 10 seconds. Just completely slows down the game. Uh, it's not a fun thing to watch. So I, I hope that he continues to work on that routine. Because it's not entertaining in any way, shape, or form. The Bucks are in this position going into Game 7 because Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday have stepped up. Drew Holiday tonight uh, shot poorly, 8 of 21, 1 of 10 from 3, but had 8 rebounds, 21 points, 5 assists, 4 steals. It was a great switching option for the Bucks in a game where they needed a switch. If the Bucks win Game 7, they will be the odds-on five uh, odds-on favorite to make the finals, in my opinion. I trust them to hold up much better than the Sixers or the Hawks deep in the playoffs. Just as we've watched that series, the Sixers are being held together by how delicate Joel Embiid's knee is. Whenever he's not on the floor, when Dwight Howard's out there, when Ben Simmons is playing center, it's just not a good look. If the Bucks lose Game Seven in Brooklyn, there are going to be a lot of questions and. The first is going to be whether Mike Budenholzer stays, and I think he's probably going to get fired. I think he's probably gone. So that'll be a year and like just slightly less than a year after Giannis signs his extension, committing to the Bucks uh, through this season and then the next five years in an, in an extension. Mike Budenholzer would have been fired if they lose to if they lose this next game. That will not be a great look. And then you look around the roster and think, okay, how much can they really improve what they have here? Dante DiVincenzo will get healthy, but is he a really big impact piece? I don't know. Uh, PJ Tucker isn't going to be around forever. Brooke Lopez isn't getting any younger. Uh, And the amount of money that they're paying Giannis, Chris Middleton, and I think they agreed to terms with the Drew Holiday extension, but I can't remember. Uh, the amount they're going to pay, pay those three guys, it's going to prevent them from improving their team otherwise. They're going to have so little cap room on the edges that if they can't get over the top this year, maybe next year. I wonder what Giannis does. Even after signing a big extension, even after signing the Supermax, does Giannis ask out at some point? If he reaches that block in the playoffs. If they get through this, if they figure it out, then maybe not. Maybe it's fine. But I don't know. We're just going to have to see. Luka Doncic. What in the world is going on in Dallas right now? That is the question that I think everybody has. And... and there are people that are privy to that information, and one of them is the the article that came out from The Athletic earlier this week. Came out saying that there are real problems between Luka Doncic and the front office. The way that it's being run, the way that certain players and uh, certain guys are being highlighted and criticized and things of that nature. One of the people that was highlighted was Haralibos Vulgaris. Uh, sorry, I probably mispronounced that so badly. Uh, but he was an analytics staffer on on there, and he used to work and for and be friends with Bill Simmons, who's at the ringer right now and kind of in the public sector and the public eye. Uh, Mark Cuban, after the article was posted, came out hours later and said it was total bullshit. Posted that on Twitter. 
But here's what happened within the three days of that. General Manager Donnie Nelson was fired, who Luka Doncic was very close to. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer reported that uh, Vulgaris, the analytics staffer I I mentioned, who was very critical of Luka and has been very critical of Luka at times, and Luka has not been been super excited about that. Uh, KOC reported that uh, Haralabob is out. And the head coach, Rick Carlisle, who's been around there for over a decade, has won a championship there with Dirk, is a legend, one of the best coaches in the NBA. He resigned. It's clearly not bullshit. Mark Cuban decided he wanted to try to head that off at the pass, but I don't know how you can say it's bullshit and then basically do a clean sweep of your entire head coaching like and front office staff. Like it's just it's there's a lot of stuff that's going on there. And this is right in the wake of Luka Doncic finishing up his third year. Uh, Michael Porter is in the same draft class, and he's about to go through these extension talks, and I will be talking about that going forward here pretty soon. But Luka is also going to go through those extension talks, and he's eligible for the Supermax because he qualified All-NBA. He's going to go through those, and it's pretty clear that he's already good enough where he can demand a better team and certain things of the organization in order to cater to his needs. He's that good. He just had 46 points, 14 assists, and 7 rebounds in Game 7 against the Clippers. They lost, and he played 45 minutes and was a minus 9 in that game because not enough of his teammates could actually do anything. Most of all, the two players that you expected to do it. Kristaps Porzingis was a shell of himself defensively this year, just a complete laughingstock. Dorian, or not Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., who had had some really great moments in that in those playoffs in order to get them to a Game 7, just completely disappeared. One of nine from the three-point line, couldn't get anything to go. The only guy who showed up on that team outside of Luka was Dorian Finney-Smith. Like I said, he had 18 points on an efficient night shooting. I'm very curious to see how the Mavs handle this. Uh, Tim Hardaway is up for a new deal. Kristaps Porzingis still has three years left on his contract, and there's no way they're getting out of that unless they make a miraculous deal. And then once Luka Doncic's cap number goes on the books, it's going to be difficult to make drastic changes to their roster, different signings, adding new faces, people that can really change that upward trajectory. So they need to act quickly, and they don't have a head coach or a general manager, and their owner's a little bit off the wall. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to discuss with the Mavericks, and whether they can actually recover from this or not. They might. Maybe they can, but their entire structure has just been upended, and it's being held together by Luca. They're going to hold on to him tightly. But don't be surprised if that changes pretty soon. Let's move on to Zion Williamson, who I'm sorry, he's not an international star, but he's basically from space. The way that he plays, how high he jumps, the things that he can do, he's not of this earth. 
So we're going to technically call them international. There was another article that came out today, Thursday, in The Athletic that said that his family, as certain members of his family anyway, weren't happy that he's in New Orleans. Which, stop me if you've heard this before, somebody isn't happy that they're in New Orleans despite the fact that they're a big-time star and their team is underperforming? Who could I really point to there? Chris Paul? Anthony Davis? Now potentially Zion Williamson too? It feels like he's destined to leave before he even got there. And that's really sad. That's a really, really sad thing. The Pelicans have to fight so much in order to just maintain the status quo, keep guys around. But they aren't doing themselves any favors. They hired Stan Van Gundy, and he's gone after one season. He couldn't get through through to Brandon Ingram, Zion, others, about playing defense consistently. But they also couldn't score. They also couldn't do a lot of the things that you needed to do from an offensive perspective to be a healthy offense. And it's just crazy that Zion is one of these young stars that's already dealing with drama, high expectations, after five minutes in the NBA. It was Luka, Trey Young had it in that class. Uh, Lonzo had it. Markel Fultz. Good lord, Markel Fultz back in a 2017. That hasn't worked out, of course, but uh, a lot of these guys are, there's a lot of drama going on. Ben Simmons is another one. Ben Simmons, man. If the Sixers lose, Ben Simmons is definitely not going to be in Philly for next year. Like almost 100%. There's no way that Daryl Morey will sit on his hands. My guess is he tries to get Bradley Beal. But yeah, with regard to Zion, uh, he's just so unique, and and it doesn't surprise me that the Pelicans have kind of struggled to figure out just how to build around him just yet, because he's just so different. He's developing. His skill set is constantly changing. But they put a bunch of non-shooters around him. At least guys that, like, they they put a lot of guys that need the ball, and they put a lot of guys that aren't great off-ball. And Zion is best when he has the ball in his hands. Or he's quickly catching and attacking. They put Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams on this roster. And that wasn't great. The Athletic also reported that New Orleans is going to try to trade those two this offseason. It's just very weird. Number one pick. Immediately destined for greatness. Just looks like the... He looks like a superhero. He looks like the Incredible Hulk or Thanos or somebody like that. Somebody who's just jacked out of his mind and is going to destroy worlds. And he played like that this year. I would have had him second team all NBA based off of what he did. It got kind of masked with the fact that his team sucked. But I really don't know if that's his fault. And I don't necessarily blame the family that they're not happy that he's in New Orleans. Because I don't think New Orleans has done a great job of catering to what he needs. So we're going to see what they do. We're going to see if they can reshape their roster. Uh, Between Zion and Luka, the two brightest young stars in the NBA today, it's just kind of fascinating to see how those situations have already turned, 
turned south. So I wanted to talk about that today, and I wanted to share my thoughts on it and kind of get the conversation started here. But after this break, I also want to talk about the next super team and why it might be international stars and why maybe it's in Denver. We'll be right back. back pickaxe and roll final segment here thank you so much for tuning in really appreciate all the love and support uh my podcast schedule over the course of these next few weeks uh going into the off season it's going to be around like it was this week i podcasted on monday podcasted on wednesday podcasted on friday and i think that's going to be around where i'm going to be for most of the off season i might podcast more at times if there's more to talk about i might podcast less at times but I'm going to need to take a little bit of a step back and uh, given the offseason stuff and, and that now the now that we're in this section and, and we get to take a little bit of time off, I'm going to take that. And uh, there will still be good content. Don't you worry about it. It feels like Nikola Jokic, like it, it feels like he's never going to leave Denver, at least not for another team. You never know, of course, like circumstances change up. Uh, Denver, they might give him a reason to leave. He might decide that he wants to go somewhere else, be be with another superstar. But as the Nuggets continue to progress, to win, to be great to Jokic, to give him no reason to leave, it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me, as, as he said, he wants to be Denver's Tim Duncan. He wants to be a guy that makes Denver his home, that stays in one city for his entire career. And I believe him when he says that. Denver has to continue to give him a reason to stay and continue to build the best possible team around him. Which to me means, like, you build a team that can help share the load a little bit. You build a team that plays the right way, that plays through Jokic, but also can do other things, and can make reads and decisions on their own, too. Denver's really close to that. They're not quite there. Michael Porter might, like, if he he takes a couple more steps, uh, he looks like a great Jokic ball player as long as he continues to move in the right direction and and progress with his basketball IQ, with his decision-making. Jokic just has to stop eye-rolling at a bunch of his jumpers. Um... And Michael Porter, in turn, needs to stop taking so many contested jumpers at times uh, and continue to work for better shots because he can get them. He also needs to develop those skills in order to figure out how to do that. But with regard to the international stars, it wouldn't surprise me if they start looking at Denver and they start looking at Jokic and what he's done here in a new light, in a different light. Given all of the drama that all these other guys are going through, Joel Embiid's having trouble in Philly. Part of it's about staying healthy, but part of it's his co-star isn't, like, the best. Giannis in Milwaukee. Sometimes it's been about the supporting cast not being great, but sometimes it's been about 
the coaching staff. Sometimes it's been about Giannis not being good enough. Utah, it's been about maybe Rudy Gobert's been a little bit miscast. Maybe he's been a little bit like credited too much. Maybe you want to be able to play with a, a, a center that really playmakes, that's somebody that can do other things, that can that isn't just going to be a defensive monster. You're going to need somebody who's more versatile than that. And with Luka in Dallas, maybe you're going to need somebody who can share the load with you. Luka needs somebody who can really like see eye to eye with him, who can take some of that pressure off because Luka's capable of putting up 46, 14, and 7 in a game 7. But so is Jokic at the time. He's never put up like gigantic numbers like that, but he he still commands a lot of attention. He just does it in a different way with different numbers. There have been a lot of international stars that like Denver. Gallo really loved Denver. Says his, his second favorite city, I think, behind uh, uh, somewhere in Italy. Jokic loves Denver. It's not Sambor to him, but, but it it's never like fully home. But he has made Denver into a second home. Maybe it's because Denver is just a wider place than most. I don't know. But I don't really think it's all that. Like, I think there's there's a reason why Denver makes sense to some of these guys. Jeff Morton has always said that Denver reminds more of a European city than somewhere like a, a Memphis or a Dallas or a Charlotte or even like a New York or an L.A. Denver's just different in that regard, and they like that. It's a great place. Certain folks love it here. Not all folks do. But many, thinks it, many think it's a great place to live, as do I. Denver should just keep Jokic's relationships, with Giannis and Doncic especially. Gotta keep those in mind. You don't have to overact on them. If you continue to load up on players and expect them to come, and then it doesn't happen, then you turn into the Miami Heat, where they had a great run going to the bubble finals. The doors kind of opened up for them with the way that the East kind of sucks. But they've been gearing up for 2021 cap space for a long time, and now there's nobody to use it on. And Kawhi, if he has a torn ACL, then there's no reason for, like, like they'd go get him. Don't get me wrong. It would be very weird. I just think that it's very possible that the three players I've been talking about here, Giannis, Doncic, Jokic, are the three most impactful players in the NBA over the next half decade or more. Doncic will be more. He's like 22 now, 21. Like he's going to be this great for a long time. 9, 10, 11 years in all likelihood. Those guys are going to be awesome. And currently, with Giannis and Doncic, they're in less than desirable situations. Having to carry a lot of the load. Maybe Giannis is in a better situation. Like if if they get over the hump, then maybe this is all for naught. Maybe I'm making much ado about nothing here. But Doncic is clearly in a situation that things aren't going great in Dallas, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and there's not a lot of positivity 
about how they can get out of it and add to Doncic's supporting cast. It's very possible that Giannis, Doncic, and Jokic look around and think, okay, maybe we could all play together. Maybe there's a way to do that. It doesn't have to be all three of them either. Like, if it were in Denver, you've already got a supporting cast in Denver that has Murray, Porter, Aaron Gordon, Will Barton right now, Monte Morris, guys like that who can absolutely contribute to a big two or a big three or whatever. Murray is way overqualified to be a supporting cast member in a big two. Like he would be, he would make that a big three. No question. So maybe it doesn't have to be all those guys that come. Maybe it's just Doncic. Maybe it's just Giannis. Maybe they're like, we're not a big fan of our current situations. We're going to take a look at what our other options are. And then they think back to all those other all-star opportunities, all those photo shoots, all those games, and who the kindest people were to them and who they like being around. Jokic really stands out there. There's been a lot of discussion about the, the Giannis bromance with Jokic, about Luka and Jokic being very close. Doesn't surprise me. Maybe that's something that we should be thinking about a little bit more. I'm not sure Porter necessarily fits well with all those guys. He's going to want his own team. And it wouldn't surprise me given the way he's developing. And as long as he can continue to grow his game, like I think that there's a a very strong possibility that he's going to want the James Harden opportunity where James Harden was able to break away and prove his own worth. But you need to trade somebody in this situation. And so if that's Denver, if that's Porter, then Denver is not going to want to trade Porter. But if they trade him for Giannis or Doncic, then they're probably going to be okay. It's a weird question. It's a weird thought. And I don't want to ruminate on this for too long, but I wanted to dedicate a podcast to this. Because the international stars in the NBA are going to define it for a long time here. It's the first time in a long time. You've always had LeBron, KD, Steph. Still going to have those guys for a little bit. But I genuinely think that the next wave of talent that defines who the NBA is and its story is going to be international. And it's very possible that some of those guys combine together, just like some of the American stars have combined together. LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. All those guys are interwoven. Don't feel dirty about building a super team either, Nuggets fans. Everyone has done it, and they've shamelessly done it, And Denver has never won a championship in their NBA history. And if they did it with Jokic as like the guy, which if if everybody was coming to Denver in order to do it, then Jokic would still be the dude. He'd still be the guy. It's just all about adding players that make sense together and want to play together. There's no guarantee of success if you build a super team. Ask Brooklyn. They're currently one loss away from being out of the playoffs. 
because the guys that they added to their super team are all injury prone. And Kevin Durant is somehow playing 48 minutes in a row, but Kyrie Irving is out. He rolled his ankle badly. James Harden has been injury prone. Had a tough go with his hamstring. Adding those superstars together, it doesn't guarantee that success, but it offers a wider cushion. And the Nuggets could have used that this year. They had a really great formula. They had it. And then Murray tore his ACL. It was painful. It sucks. Could have been Denver's year. If Denver were to add a superstar, then they might have been able to survive it anyway. These players might go elsewhere. There was a fear that Giannis would sign in Dallas in 2021 to join up with Luka, at least until he signed his extension in Milwaukee. Uh, they thought he might like break the NBA in that case. But don't think for a second that Giannis coming to Denver or Luka coming to Denver wouldn't break the NBA anyway. If those two joined up somewhere else, they would also break the NBA there. If recent history is any indication, the team that becomes available to those guys at the right time is going to become the next NBA superpower. They've got to provide resources, got to provide good coaching, got to provide cap space, they've got to provide trade fodder, whatever. The NBA just better hope it's not the Lakers again, because that would suck. That would be so boring. If it was Denver, at least it's a change of scenery. And for Nuggets fans, how cool would it be to be able to support Giannis or Luka in a Nuggets uni? That would be dope. But these are off-season questions. These are off-season ruminations that don't really matter. This is the one podcast where I will basically talk about this. And I thought it was timely, given that all of the, the conversation that has been going on over these last few days. So those are my thoughts on it. I hope you enjoyed it. And for now, that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back next week. Uh, I think we're going to be doing some uh, some player evaluations at Denver Stiffs, some season grades, stuff of that nature. I'll be doing another series like that on the podcast, while also potentially getting on some guests, being able to talk with different folks about uh, what's coming and how the Nuggets are going to handle their business over the course of these next two months. Should be fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys next week.